now. Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Unihet pod pogrimanama. Tomukia te ao te ao patitangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahuro, hamie, huie, taikie. Well, kia ora tātou, hare mai, and welcome to the Get Outdoors field trip. Get Outdoors safely with MAPS, and this field trip is supported by LINS, which is Land Information New Zealand. And I'm Shelley, the LINS field trip teacher. Also have with us Maya, the Chief LINS ambassador, who accompanies me on all my trips, and we're currently at MSC, the Mountain Safety Council, and we've got Bevan here. Um, from MSC and Carl, and we start with Bevan. Bevan, can you tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, sure, Shelley. Um, so Mountain Safety Council, we try to make sure uh, that people have all the information they need so they can plan great trips in the outdoors. So we work with people like Carl from Linz, or we might work with some of your outdoor retailers like MacPack or Hunting and Fishing or Kathmandu uh, or Doc uh, and the Met Service to make sure that people have the best information so they can have great trips in the outdoors and not get into trouble. Fantastic. Thanks, Bevan. And Carl, tell us about your job. I'm Carl and I'm a senior digital cartographer from Land Information New Zealand. And Land Information New Zealand does lots of things around our survey system. We have a hydro department as well, and I work in topography. So in topography, we make topographical maps, which is going to talk about in the next few days. We get lots of help with that from other people, um, and we'll be learning in the next few days what we do exactly. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll be using those maps so that we know exactly where we are. And if you've seen my intro video, you'll see how important it is to know where you are, where you're going, and how to get home safely. So it's all about location, making the most of locations, choosing the right one, and then navigating it when you're there out in the outdoors. So really looking forward to this week. This week is, of course, part of Get Outdoors Week. And if you don't know what that is, Google it, and you can have a look, and you can share your adventures as well. And there's, there's a competition? Yep, surprises every day. So get involved in that. You might have even done something over the weekend that you can share already because I think it, the week started on Saturday. On Saturday, yep. yeah, and it finishes this Sunday. Cool, so plenty of opportunity to get out and about and share your adventures and maybe win some prizes. But of course, the best prize is just getting out and about. Okay, so welcome along to our speaking schools. Um, we're talking to you from the Mountain Safety Council meeting room um, in Wellington. And it's a fairly good day in Wellington, a little bit breezy, but we're hoping to get outdoors later this afternoon and make the most of it. Okay, we'll get started with questions. Welcome to Masterton Intermediate School. Great to have you with us. And if we can have Number one, please. We'll, we'll get Barry to put them in the chat pod as well so that we can keep up with those questions. When you create a map, how do you know that things are in the right place? Ah, yes, good question. Carl, you might be the one for that. Okay, so... 
We had, when we capture a map in the first place, we use what's called an auto-rectified aerial image. So we're looking down on photos and we're placing points on the ground. And when we go to update a map, we'll have a new photo that we take things from and we can compare what's already on the map in a digital form with what's on the photo. We do that for certain areas. Um, and then in other places, we know things are right because we actually verify sources, information from other sources. So our railway lines, we actually get the railway lines that are supplied by KiwiRail and we can compare against their information to what we have. So really it's, it's lots and lots of checking. Um, it's, it's always verifying. And another really good thing to making sure things in the right place is all our users can actually send us information back to us when they use the map. And if there are things wrong on it, they can actually send it in and then we can get that fixed for the next edition of the map. So depending what type of feature it is, that's really depends on how um, sure we are that things are in the right place. So we know our roads because we can see them and they're really clear, they're very good. Um, with our tracks, we have a number of ways of checking that as well. Um, but then other features, they might not be that right. So for vegetation, for instance, sometimes the vegetation on the map will either be cleared or grown and that type of change, we don't really know. So really it's just lots and lots of checking against other sources. Excellent, thanks Carl. And we've got the teacher from Masterton Intermediate going, a what image? Your auto, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what you said at the start there. <laughs> Can you repeat that? Okay, so what I said was an ortho-rectified aerial image. So these are really special images that cost a lot of money. Yep, so an aerial is a photograph. Ortho-rectified image. What was that? An ortho-rectified ortho aerial image. And when we take those photos, surveyors have already been around to identify where certain features are. And then that means that that image is stretched and warped. So then it becomes a very accurate image that you can measure things off. Oh, awesome. And question number two now, please. What are the different types of maps and how would each one help? Uh, good question. Different types of maps, Carl. So when we talk about different types of maps, I think we're talking about different scales of maps and different, when we say types, it's like the series. So our Topo 50 map is called that because it's a one to 50K series. We have maps that cover uh, larger areas. So our North and South Island map, um, a North and South Island map is a really good thing to put on the wall um, and understand what the wider area is. Our Topo maps are a really good scale if you wanna go out walking um, and for our government departments to manage where things are from a wider area. And then you can actually have things like our walking maps, which LIMS doesn't actually do, but a lot of your local councils and regional councils will actually produce walking series maps, which are at a lower scale again, maybe one to 10,000. Um, and there's probably more different maps in between. So maybe um, a bit like what Google Maps is where you can navigate around your streets in your town. And that type of map will actually show you all the road names so that you can see everything that's there. On a Topo 50 map, 
we don't show all the road names, we show the main roads and kind of important roads. Um, when we think about maps, we also think about charts. So charts for hydrography. So if you're going out in your boat, there's a different series of maps that you'll want to use uh, when you're on the water to stay safe. Fantastic. And Bevan, when you're in the outdoors, what's the main type of map that you use? So the main type, there's two main types of maps. Um, one of them is uh, Carl's Topo 50 map. That's really important in our New Zealand outdoors. Uh, but the other maps we sometimes use are digital maps. So our GPS units, for people who have a GPS, we can see like Carl's maps uh, and we can see that on a digital screen and we can zoom in and find where we are and we can plot where we're walking to or where we're going from and they'll also show us where we are now. Uh, so we can do that. And there's phone apps as well that enable you to do that too. Fantastic. And we're going to explore more of those kind of maps throughout the week. Okay, question three, please. How do you use a compass in the right way? Ah, oh, yes, we've been talking about this, actually. <laughs> um, Carl, we'll start with you. On and off it. Um, so it, it's important when you're using your compass and the map that we have a different idea of what is north. So a, a key part of when you're doing the map is, is you find north first and then you find a bearing to features around you. And there's a difference between the map grid north and the magnetic north. And that's actually written in the bottom of the map. So when you take a bearing um, just out without the map, you then go onto the map and you have to add a certain amount. And we say it's around 20 degrees. When you're taking a bearing off the map and you're looking out into the public, uh, into the general area, you've then got to take that off your compass bearing. And there's, we've got map guides around that, which we kind of decided before that might be a bit confusing. Mm. Um, so it's really important that people find a good way to do that and in the next few days, We'll, we'll explore that. Uh, and we've got a really cool video that explains why um, north is different on the map to north to, that your compass points to. Uh, and then it shows you basically how you use a compass so that you can find north correctly. Uh, so you can search you can on YouTube for how to use a compass, um, or you can go to the mountain safety, .org.nz website, click on our videos and you'll be able to find the Get Outdoors series of videos. And in there, there's all these how-to guides, including how to read a map and how to use a compass. Yeah, fantastic. And those videos are really helpful, so I, I encourage you to check them out. Um, it's all about knowing a feature that you can be sure of the location of. So often that's north. We want to know where north is so that we can then plot other things off it and go in the right direction. And you probably do this without even thinking. You might have hills in your region and in your city and it's like, oh, okay, I can see the hills. I know I'm going in this direction if I go away from them or to the side of them or whatever. So it's kind of just the same principle of having something that you can know the location of and then use it to find the location of other things. But yeah, check out those videos. Question four, please. Can you transfer your compass bearings onto a map? 
Oh, how do you transfer your canvas bearings onto a map? That's a good question. And that's, I guess, similar to what Carl was just saying. If you've got a bearing, so if, um, Tim, you obviously know about using a compass and taking a bearing. Uh, if you want to place that then onto a map to change the difference, because the two noughts are different, you need to, you're going to add it to the map. So you're going to add 20 degrees to your bearing score. Yeah, and again, those videos are great because they show you how to line up your compass with the grid lines on your map and get that difference between magnetic north, what your compass is telling you, and grid north, which is what the map is, is based on in those grid lines. Good stuff. Question five, please. What is the difference between a digital map and a paper map? Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, so uh, for me, a, a digital paper and a paper map are the same thing if it's a digital copy of the paper map. But when we have digital maps, we can actually break that map up into pretty much every layer. And once it's digital, we can actually add information on other information on the top of our maps, which kind of makes it a lot more useful. So on a paper map, you can actually draw extra information on and write things that you want to do. In a digital map, it just means that it's on your screen and you can add more information to it. Um, there is a really slight difference between the digital maps and the Topo 50 maps, and there's a slight change, what we call cartographic representation. So to make sure things all fit on the map, sometimes we have to move, if we have a river and a road that run really closely together, we actually have to move them apart a bit, which means that on the map, if you measure them, they're going to be out by a few centimetres. But in our digital data, we don't have to do that because on a digital map, you can actually zoom right in and you can still see your lines and points and those other types of features. So when we talk about digital data, we talk about a digital copy of the paper map, but also digital copies of all the little pieces that make up those maps as well. Um, and we'll be showing you an app in the next few days as well, which just explains um, how much more that you can actually do with the digital map and how much more information that you can bring in. The great thing about a paper map is you don't need a battery to read it. You might need light, but that's about it. So you can always rely on that paper map to actually be able to use if you don't have the power or connection to your devices or to the internet. Yeah, and what I really like about digital maps is you can you can plot where you've been and you can record it on, on your digital screen, like all your fitness apps and stuff, and they show you where you've where you've gone and how fast, and then they can compare it to everybody else. And there's just so much more information that you can have on digital maps. But then if you're going away for a couple of weeks, that's when the, the topo paper map is really helpful because you don't have to keep charging your phone to be able to see the map you just pull out your paper one so good uses for both and that's a good question question number six now please Who's that? Um, what are some safety precautions that to take with you if you are going out bush ah, some, some equipment Bevan. Okay, Reese. Um, yeah, if you're going for a trip out in the bush, you need to think about what could possibly happen out there. So think about the weather. It, um, you need to be ready for it to be hot and sunny. 
uh, and you need to be prepared for it to be wet and cold. So what things would you do if it was hot and sunny? Well, you don't want to get sunburned. I, so I'd be wearing a hat because I get badly sunburned up here. <laughs> and on my nose. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and it's probably sunglasses too because New Zealand sun's pretty bright. Uh, and sunscreen, of course. But if it gets wet and cold, I want to make sure I've got warm layers on top. And I don't want to wear any cotton clothing because if that gets wet, that can make you hypothermic. So I've got like a, a running T-shirt and I've got merino or polypro layers. I've got a fleece on top. And of course, I've got a good waterproof jacket too. So that's if it was going to be wet. That's the most important things. But you might fall over and you might get an injury. So it's good to have a first aid kit uh, and it's good to have a way to call for help. So if you're going in the bush and you know that you can get cell phone coverage, then your cell phone's fine. But if you're going a long way away, maybe for a few days, and there's not going to be cell phone coverage out there, then you need another form of communication like a PLB. Indeed. And, and we've talked about the, the equipment side of things. Um, there's also a note there about hydration. So, of course, you'd, you'd want some water, want some food, and it all depends on how far you're going and whether you think that there might be the possibility, even though you're going out for an hour or two, that it could end up longer if you get lost. So sometimes you have to, to have um, a backup plan as well. Question number seven, please. Apart from food, medical and water, what would be the three most crucial pieces of equipment that you could take? Okay, well, so we've gone over some of that, but the three most crucial pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. So similar, similar to what I guess we just said. So yeah, there's your clothing, your rain jacket and your warm layers. Uh, the other thing you might want to consider is because it might get dark when you're out there, having a head torch could make a big difference, yeah. But the best thing is, uh, as Kate's just said, um, you've got to tell someone where you're going. That's the best way to get help. Mm. And there's always exceptions to the rule, you know, like you've mm. got the need for water, but does that mean that you have to have two litres of water on board? Maybe not, maybe you just need to know that the rivers are safe to drink out of. So there are other things around um, what you need to take. Um, just like if you're in a, a running race that's really long, you don't want to carry a whole lot so your equipment becomes a little bit different. So it does, does depend on what your activity is and where you're going. So that's why it's important to get lots of practice and go on lots of different trips and learn what your three crucial bits of gear are. I know I love the head torch because that, that's really important if I get stuck out in the dark. Um, I always have a, a little drink bottle because I can fill that up with stream water. And yeah, what, what's on my feet is really important. So I always very carefully choose what, what footwear I'm going to use for whatever kind of terrain I think I'm going to come across. Rain jacket, yeah, that's kind of a given as well in New Zealand. But yep, depends on what you're doing, where you're going. Question eight, please. What do you guys think about GPS and how useful is it when performing a, a search and rescue mission? 
Yeah. Well, every search and rescue team take with them a GPS unit. So for rescuing people, they've, they've got a GPS so they know where they are, but also they use their GPS to think, you know, what's the wider area where that person is likely to be? And so they're going through and they're searching because usually when they're searching, they're not on the track, they're usually off the track somewhere. Um, so GPS units are really useful for search and rescue. Uh, and they're also really useful for people who have them, uh, but they are quite expensive, uh, especially the good ones. They can be quite expensive. So just simply having a paper map and a compass, you can do many of the things that, that you can do as well with a GPS. Indeed, yep. Lots of people managed in the outdoors without GPS. Um, so you don't have to have one, but it is indeed useful. Okay, next question, please. Isn't EPIRB isn't necessary? Ah, this is a good question. Yeah, another good one. Um, so an EPIRB is uh, known as several different things. So there's EPIRBs and there's also PLBs. Um, and those are two different, slightly different things. So EPIRBs are water activated. So if they fall in the water, then they send an alert straight away. So those are usually carried in boats. Uh, and a PLB or a personal locator beacon uh, is one where you've got to physically press the button to call it, to send an SOS signal. So those are what are normally used if you're going tramping or mountain biking. Um, sometimes uh, runners take them because uh, you can get quite small ones now. Uh, it's, now it's not always necessary because if you've got a cell phone and you know you're going somewhere that just has cell phone coverage, then your cell phone's probably okay. But if you're going somewhere which is much further away from the road where there's no cell phone communications, uh, then a personal locator beacon's very important. But again, like a GPS, they can be really expensive. So not everyone in the world has one. So you can rent them. So you can go into any MacPack store and you can, you can hire it. Uh, and there's also other places, some dock visitor centers you can hire them from. And there's some other outdoor stores that might have them, uh, like Bivouac, I know, have them. So you can hire them quite cheaply uh, if you're going for a longer trip. Yeah. But if you're not going to take one and you're going out of cell phone range, it's really important that someone knows where you're going and when you're going to be back. Because if you're not back in that period of time and you haven't told them, then someone's going to have to go and search for you. And they need to know where you're going to be so they can find you. Yeah, and I guess the trick is not always relying on technology, but having good plans to start with. But one cool feature that I've found on my little smartwatch here is when I'm mountain biking, if I stop in a really big hurry, I've set it up so it sends um, a message to my contacts to say that, oh, I might have crashed. And I can veto that message and go, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Or if I'm in a ditch somewhere, fallen off, um, that message will go through and then somebody will think, oh gosh, Shelley might need rescuing. <laughs> Hopefully I don't need to test out that function. But there is some cool technology out there. And next question, please. 
What is the piece of advice you can give to a young adult who is keen on tramping out the bush? Get out there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. If you're keen, go. You've got lots of, there's lots of skills you can learn just from being out in the bush and you'll learn, you'll learn heaps. Uh, but the best way to learn is to be with people who, who know more than you do and they can help to show you the ropes and you can learn more stuff. Um, for us at the Mountain Safety Council, we've got lots of resources through our website that can help you learn skills. Uh, and, and you can just click on learn and skills and there's lots of different skills and advice we can give you, but nothing replaces being out there uh, and, and testing out your skills. Yeah, and um, joining a club can be a good option as well. There are lots of outdoor clubs that you can join, um, the likes of tramping clubs or mountain biking clubs or walking groups or, or whatever. There are lots of groups, depending on where you live, um, that you can join. And those people, um, when they join that, those clubs, it's because they really enjoy the activity and they get get stoked to take other people out as well. So no doubt if you ask nicely, they'll they'll be super keen to take you along as well. Any other questions there this morning? Would you come and visit and spend a day with a group of super keen kids? Does does the Mountain Safety Council have that ability to send send people out to schools? Yeah, we don't have the ability, unfortunately, to come and visit you. Uh, but there could be some could be some people nearby that we know that might be that might be keen to come and visit. Um, so we've got we've got a bunch of people all around the country who um, do occasionally come and come and visit. Uh, and for for you guys, uh, I'd suggest uh, contacting. Um, the education uh, outdoors. Oh, sorry. Um, outdoor training. Outdoor training New Zealand. OTNZ. And Heather Grady, who runs that, she's got a bunch of different volunteers around the place, and that might be able to come and visit. Yeah. Again, looking at those kind of clubs and people that are in your area, it's amazing what you can find out on Google um, and who lives in your in your area. And I'd say if you lived in Dunedin. I'd, I'd be keen to come and visit, but I don't live in your neck of the woods, so it's probably not possible. But there will be people in your neighbourhood that are, are really keen to, to support you and get you out there. Okay, so I think that's the end of our formal questions for this morning. So thanks very much to Carl and Bevan for your great answers, and thanks to Masterton Intermediate for getting your questions together for us this morning. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We do have a few more minutes to answer any extra questions that may have cropped up. Um, yep. And otherwise, join us tomorrow for our next week. So if you want to type some extra questions in, it's all good. Right. Do you want to type or just talk? What is the most commonly a common place that uh, search and rescue needs to be performed. Mm. I know Mount Safety Council is involved mm. in collecting data on such things. 
Yeah, um, I can tell you that answer, but for um, all the data that we have, so we get all of police's data and the rescue coordination centre's data, as well as coroners and ACC. So every injury that happens, we get we get information on that. And a couple of years ago, I worked on a project to work out what was the place that had more search and rescues um, in New Zealand out of anywhere uh, for trampers. And their answer was, it's the Tongariro Alpine Crossing. Way higher than any other track in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. But most of the time, it's people who didn't give themselves enough time to get to the end. Uh, or they should have turned around a bit earlier and headed back. And if you've done the Tongariro crossing, you'll know why there's so many search and rescues because there is heaps of people that do that crossing and a lot of tourists used to come and try and do it in a day and it's actually quite a long way and it goes really high. And I remember doing um, the crossing on a not so flash day and I had all my kit really warm kit and I was still cold and I saw people in jeans and running shoes and it just looked like a disaster waiting to happen and yeah. It, yeah it was quite scary so you've got to, got to have the right gear for the right conditions one afternoon could be completely different you know you've got to be prepared and especially if you're going into alpine areas yeah and it's just people that didn't think hey it might be wet or cold today and making those decisions Always being prepared, even on a sunny day. Yeah. And cold. yeah, and I can see teacher's comment there. We, we took a group across a few years ago, jeans and high heels. Yeah. We weren't in jeans and high heels, the people we saw were. No, no, that, that is a disaster. My, my favourite was when I was on the route burn track and I saw a tourist that had their sleeping bag and an old shopping plastic bag and they were just carrying it it was persisting down with rain and it was like I don't think we're get in that sleeping bag at the end of the day it just seemed crazy you won't carry it you won't carry your bag um any more questions now this is my one. oh Carl, Carl wants a question as GPS made people forget about paper maps. How are maps made? How are maps made? Oh, how are maps made? How are maps made? So we've been making maps since about 1931. And what we have now is a topo database. And in our topo database, we have lots of rules which brings our map together and it makes products to then print those maps out in, in certain ways. So it's all digital now. We don't do any hand drawing or anything like that anymore. We used to do it that way um, for our relief shading and lots of other features. However, because of technology, there's most of those things that we, we can now do inside our database. And when we actually um, take the information off the photo, that's kind of where it's a bit of hand drawing because we actually trace around the areas and the features that we want to capture. So that's getting things in the right place. And then when we as said before, when we bring extra information, which are attributes, things like road names and place names, 
we bring those in later from different sources as well. So it, it's really just lots of technology bringing things together and then we call, it's called an export out into our different maps. And there's lots and lots of different parts to actually bring that map together. So there's quite a few people involved. Thanks, Carl. Um, we got the question, has GPS made people forget about paper maps? If so, what can you do about that? So really, the main people that say we should get rid of paper maps are the people that don't use paper maps. So we create maps for Defence Force and Emergency Services. And when I talk to the guys and girls from the Army, when they go out and do any exercise, they all still take a paper map with them. So what I say to everybody is that when the Army stops using paper maps, then we'll stop using paper maps. It really makes no difference because whether it's digital or paper, it's still a map and it's still really useful. The exciting things about GPS um, is when we talk about more and more people getting those maps. So it's really easy to access it on your phone. You don't have to go and buy that paper map from a shop or get it delivered to you. So really, it's, it's not about having digital products that replace paper maps. It's about all our information coming together and collectively giving out answers and giving people the opportunities to do it. Um, when we talk about paper, making paper maps, um, in the pilots in the wars and stuff used to actually have maps that were printed on silk so that if they did crash and the paper did get wet, it didn't actually matter because the map was actually on silk. Still use that where they need to be. So every day I get asked, when are we going to get rid of paper maps, Carl? And every day I just say, not quite yet. Um, we'll still keep producing them. Indeed. And I know I'm going in the outdoors. I tend to do all my homework on digital maps at home and zoom into Google Earth and do all that sort of stuff. And then when I'm out and about, I actually have the paper map because it's it's lighter, it's not going to run out of batteries and I can always rely on it and I probably don't need that level of precision that you get out of digital maps because I've already done all my homework and I'm reading the terrain so it's all about thinking about oh okay so where's the easiest place to go, where's the river crossing going to be easiest, all those sort of things that I can see in front of me rather than get information from just on a map. So my map's referred to Sometimes, but I already know a bit about where I'm going to be going and, and how to get back again, if that makes sense. Okay, we've got time for maybe one last question, if there is one. I'll just add one. When you said about somebody getting started that they just get on with it, um, you would assume that people shouldn't go out on their own? That, that would be good advice, yes, indeed. Yeah. And why is that? Well, if you're, if you're going on your own uh, and right. you've got lots of experience and you're really skilled, then, then that can be okay. You can look after yourself uh, as long as you don't take silly risks, um, which would mean you can't call for help. Uh, but uh, until you're really, really experienced, you definitely shouldn't be on your own. Um, always go with others. Always tell someone where you're going. And ideally, uh, if you're going to test yourself, do it with someone who's done a bit more than you have. So they can, they can teach you and they can show you how. 
Yeah, because it doesn't take much when you're by yourself for things to become a bit of an epic because you've got no backup. Okay, well, thanks very much, Mastered and Intermediate. It's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. And thanks very much for our guests. Say a big goodbye. Great day. Kakita ono. And I hope you can listen in again tomorrow. And we'll see you. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 Bye